Now, as we just have a couple of weeks left in this year and we get ready to go into the new year and got some exciting series that you'll be hearing about. And um, one of the things that we've done for the last several years you hear me talk about is, um, is greatest gift. And I was thinking when we were in New York, you know, you see a lot more of these. Here in South Florida, I don't know about the campus that you attend, but here in South Florida, you, you see them sometimes at Walmart, those kind of places. But in New York, because everybody's out and they're walking about, you, you see these and you see the people with the bell. And I told you a few weeks ago, the ones that I see, at least around here, you know, they're happy, but they're not into it like they are in New York. And I couldn't find the exact guy that I was telling you about, <clears throat> but I did find one that's just about as happy, and I wanted to show him to you. So let's watch this. <coughs> Barbara Streisand. Come on, that's exciting, isn't it? Now, I tell you, I'm, I'm the guy on the side that can't dance, all right? Right? Watching the other guy. You know? uh, uh, but I love that enthusiasm, that excitement, that passion when it comes to the conversation of money. They're talking about money, right? He's actually standing there ringing a bell to get your attention to ask you to give your hard-earned money to help them do all the uh, incredible things that the Salvation Army is a part of. And I want to talk about that a little bit this weekend, about that enthusiasm. When it comes to giving, the Bible talks about enthusiasm uh, in our giving. And this time of the year, you get asked to give a lot in a lot of different places. I mean, I've got, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a phone call from anybody I've ever supported in the past asking me to help this time of the year. And it always seems like it's, you know, uh, really, really important. And so, so why do we give? And, and should we, all those kind of questions. I want to really talk about it uh, because the Bible has a lot to say about it. If you're here and you're a guest, maybe it'll give you a little bit of insight into why people actually are generous. And if you're here and you're a Christ follower, maybe it'll help you understand a little bit more why. Why we, why we give and what should our spirit and attitudes be? Uh, think of it like this. <clears throat> Where does it position us? Does giving, how does it position us in a place where God can use us? When you, when you think about positioning ourselves in the area of generosity, we, we know that you give to help people, you give to feed the hungry, you forgive, you, you know, you, you give to help people come to Christ, even like the college, to pour into the next generation. But, you know, when you look at the scripture, there's something deeper to generosity that, um, that the scripture talks about. And so if you got a Bible or you got your iPhone or whatever it is, you can go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, okay, or you can pull out that outline that you got when you came in, and that's where we're really going to spend our time, the positions of generosity. Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians is talking about receiving an offering, okay? It's that time when people leave. It's that time when we kind of like the service is over. He's talking about receiving an offering, and think about this. 
Paul talks about this one offering, just this one offering. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Then he talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 8. And then he uses the whole chapter 9 to talk about receiving this offering. Because the idea of money and giving and generosity bringing a sense of tension is not anything new. And so Paul really spends some time dealing with this. And I, I think we can learn some things, maybe even be encouraged by some things. The first thing that I want you to jot down is that my generosity, your generosity, positions others to help and to be helped. Your generosity positions other people to help and to be helped. In other words, our generosity inspires others to be generous. Therefore, more people are helped. More people are encouraged. More people are fed. More people um, are helped out in multiple different ways in which um, potential church and many other churches in the world do ministry. Okay? So there's an inspirational aspect to your generosity and to mine. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says... Now, really, I don't need to write to you about the ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how, what's that next word? Eager. And that's the idea of enthusiasm. He says, I know you're eager to give. So the idea of enthusiasm, though I thought, what? That's just like the Salvation Army. Eager. Woo! I, I, you know what? I'm even going to have some of you guys help me out. Help me ring. Oh, you get excited. All right. I like that enthusiasm right here. Who will help me out over here? All right, I'll give that to you. Maybe you can pass that back to that young lady. She wants to help us out. There you go. All right. And I've got just a, I can't give, oh, we'll give one over here. All right. And one over here. Okay. okay. All right. See, I put out your eye. We got good insurance. That's more money. Okay. Here's what he says. He says, for I know how eager you are to help. In other words, there. Do it with me, bell ringers. There. Oh, come on. That's not very enthusiastic. We need bigger bells. They are what? Yeah, they are enthusiastic. They are eager, it says, to help out. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was what? Oh, no, no. You're what? Yeah, you're what, bell ringers? Your enthusiasm that did what? That stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So he says it was your excitement about generosity that inspired others. And the more of us who are generous, it only makes sense the more people who are actually helped. Now, let's look at these folks in Macedonia that got um, inspired by the church in Corinth's generosity. Who were these people? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul gives us a little bit of insight. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, yeah, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich what? So they have an enthusiasm, they have a joy, if we were going to ring our bells, okay? They have a joy that overflows in generosity, for I can testify. They gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. 
They begged us again and again for the privilege. Again, you have that idea of enthusiasm, of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, um, one, one of the things that I, I wrote here in my notes, you've got Paul, he says, okay, he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, I really don't need to write to you about this, but I, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And, and I remember how your inspiration, and the Corinthian church was wealthy, okay? Your inspiration inspired the Macedonians who were um, poor, Scripture says, in great poverty. Now, it's important that Paul really believes that what he's about to teach. Because who is helping in this offering? Well, we know Macedonia is, the Macedonians are. And we know that they're very poor. So in other words, the money that they're giving to help the church in Jerusalem, they could have used for themselves in a multiple of different ways, I'm sure, if they were very poor. And so Paul has to have a great confidence in what he's about to teach, or it's just, it's just hor horrific, isn't it? One of the things, whether you're a pastor teaching a congregation or you're a parent teaching your, your children, if you don't believe, if I don't believe what I'm teaching you this weekend, it, it, it's, there's no, it's just horrific. Because I know that there are going to be some of us here who are struggling financially, who have been and will be generous. And I'm challenging you to do so. Some of you are single parents. Some of you are wrestling, wrestling because maybe you lost a job. I mean, there is real financial challenge right in front of you. And here I am standing and challenging you that you need to be generous. So if I don't believe that God's going to do what he really says he does, I mean, what kind of person am I? What kind of people are the church? Are you as you challenge the folks around you? And so for me, this is important because I want to know it's true. I don't want, if it's not true, then I, I, I want to teach something different. Because what I'm asking is horrific if what the Scripture says is not true. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's this amazing story. You can go read it sometime. Elijah is his prophet. And there's a, a famine in the land. So money's a recession. You might even say a depression. And Elijah comes upon this lady. God sends him to this widow. He gets there and he asks her, he says, I've been traveling. Hey, can you get me a drink? And she says, sure. And she's on her way to get him a drink. He says, and while you're at it, could you get me a pizza? He doesn't ask for a pizza. He asks for food. He says, you could get me a, a bite to eat. And she looks at him and she says, sir, I don't have anything. I've got a little bit of oil and I've got a little bit of, 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 of uh, grain. And I was just about to put it together and fix one last meal for my young son and for me. We were going to eat it and die. That's what, that's what First King says. She looks at it and says, we were going to eat it and we were going to die. And do you know what this preacher does? You know what this prophet does? He looks at her and he says, well, fix mine first. Can you imagine the amount of courage that it took for this prophet to make that request? Because anybody that overheard him, you got to know what they were thinking. How selfish can you be? How arrogant can you be? How uncaring can you be? Because, see, God had told the prophet Elijah, and he told her. He said, go ahead and fix mine first, because if you do, then God's going to make sure that you don't run out of oil and you don't run out of grain. 
Can you imagine the amount of courage it took for her to trust that that prophet knew what in the world he was talking about? And if you read the story, you realize that both the prophet to ask for it and the widow to actually do what was asked takes a great amount of faith. Please understand that living a generous life has always took courage. It has always took a tremendous amount of faith. Whether you're the one giving those resources or you're the one actually teaching about those resources. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, right, we're going to stay in these two chapters. Paul says, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Right? He's talking to the, uh, the Corinthian church here. He says, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. Remember what I said? Is that your generosity positions others so that they can help and be helped. They're inspired to help and therefore more people are helped. He says, will be met. So these needs are going to be met. Why? Because the Corinthian church is inspiring other churches to get involved in helping the Jerusalem church. And therefore they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And then look what Paul says. And it's probably not translated real well according to scholars in this, uh, the New Living Translation here. He says, thank God for this gift. It's too wonderful for words. Now, if you look at that last phrase in another translation, Paul makes up a word there. The word that Paul used is not found in the Greek, not, not only not any other place in the Bible, not any other place in the Greek language. Paul gets so, help me out, bell people, he gets so enthusiastic that he makes up a, a, a word. You ever got that excited? Well, you just get so excited about something, you just make up a word because your vocabulary feels too limited to actually describe it. Well, that's the way Paul is about the generosity of the Corinthian church and the impact that it's having on those around him and then of course the good that it is that it is doing so my generosity positions others to help and be helped here's the second thing you can jot down is that my generosity positions the good news in front of people my generosity positions the good news in front of people now many people give out of need. I mean, America is the most generous country in the world. Not everybody in America, of course, is a Christ follower. And yet, people give when they see a need. People sometimes will give because they feel guilty. If you've ever been on a mission trip and you see how some folks are suffering, sometimes you just give because you feel guilty about what you've been blessed with. So you can give... Um, but what you and I can't do is we can't really live a generous life. Now, how do you say, Troy, how do you define generosity? Well, we'll see in a moment, but you and I can give out of our surplus. That's great. That's wonderful. But true generosity is when we give above our surplus. In other words, for some of us, it's when we give anything. Why? Because you have no surplus. You have more going out than you do coming in right now. So when you give, you're, that, that's, that's generous. Why? Because you have no surplus. Uh, and so true generosity, when you and I give above our surplus, the only way you can do that is to be a Christ follower. And here's the reason why. It doesn't make sense. It's crazy. It makes no sense to give away beyond 
your surplus, beyond your margin. Therefore, when you and I are generous, what happens is it positions the good news. It positions, and when I say good news, I'm talking about the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, he died, and he resurrected on the third day, and he's coming back one day to get those who trust or put their faith in him. It puts that in front of people. Now, let me show you here in the scripture, okay? Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is Paul talking about the Macedonian church and their generosity. And they were the ones who didn't have anything. They gave out of or beyond their surplus because they had no surplus. The scripture said they were very poor. Verse 5, it says, they even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. So their generosity came out of their relationship with God because what they were doing made no sense. Anybody in the community around this Macedonian church is like, what are you doing? You need to take care of yourself first. You, 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 well, you, you don't have anything. Is that religious leader talk you out of your money? Did they make you feel guilty? I mean, what, what, what are you doing? And Paul points out that before, gen, before their generosity, before a generous heart, it, it came out of their relationship with God. And then when you move on to chapter 9, and Paul now is not talking about the Macedonian church, he's talking to the Corinthian church. Look at what he says. He says, so I thought I should send brothers, right? He says, I know I don't need to write about this offering, but I thought... I would send some brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? They said they were going to give, and Paul says, I don't really need to talk about this because you guys have been so pumped up and enthusiastic, but I'm going to send somebody just to make sure. Now, why, what, what, what does that mean? Well, what is, Paul, what is Paul revealing to us? That what they're even doing is not natural. He says, I'm going to send some folks down to help, to encourage, to talk with, to teach, to educate. Because what you're doing is, it doesn't make sense. What you're doing is not normal. Now, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't bully them into giving. He says, but I want it to be a willing gift. Not, given, not one given grudgingly. Now, why would he say that? Because anyone can give that way. He says, I, I don't want you to give because I, just because I'm asking. I don't want you to give just because there's great poverty in the church in Jerusalem. I don't want you to give just because there's a need. I want you to give because Christ lives in you. Because anybody can give when they're compulsed to, when they're pushed into it, when they're manipulated. In some way. And Paul says this over and over because he wants their generosity to be, you might say, a bell in the ears of the world. Paul wants the world to ask the question why would you do that? What you're doing doesn't make any sense. He goes on in verse 7. He says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Again, don't give reluctantly and don't give in response to pressure. Why? Because anybody can do that. Anybody can close their eyes, hold their nose, and put some money uh, in an envelope or a bucket or send it somewhere or however you might do it, uh, depending on who you were giving it to. So I don't want you to give that way. 
So I don't want you to give because you've seen something that, that made you cry. Anybody can do that. He says, I, I want you to give because there's been a transformation in your heart. I want you to give with joy. God loves a cheerful giver. And I wrote this in, in my notes. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because the only way you can give with joy is through faith. It's the only way is for you to have a sense of joy and a sense of peace and a sense of confidence and a sense of enthusiasm. Hey, it's offering time. Woo! All right, dance like the Salvation Army, dude. The only way you and I can have, not, not pretend to have those emotions, but really have them. The only way is through faith is for you and I to really believe that what the Scripture says is true. That's why God says God loves a joyful giver. Why? Because a joyful giver is given evidence to their faith. They're giving evidence to the reality that God is who he said he was and can do what he said he could do. Now Paul's going to get a little more focused. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, as a result of your ministry... And he's talking about the ministry of giving here. They, the church in Jerusalem, will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers. So it's not just, he's talking even beyond this one offering, but he's talking about living a generous life. To all believers will, what's the next word? Prove. And what will their generosity prove? That you are obedient to the good news. In other words, the way in which we give evidence to who God is, is through our generosity. So if we really wanted to ask the question, why does the world, no matter how many churches there might be, or how many different ways in which to proclaim the scripture, why does it seem that our world is going in the opposite direction? It might be because the scripture here alludes to the fact that it is our generosity that gets the attention of the world. And when you really look at the numbers, that's not something that the church is necessarily really good at all the time. We're good at helping. We do more than those who don't know Christ. But as far as the world being able to look at our lives as being generous lives and therefore not be able to get around it, or to get the ring of enthusiasm outside of their ears. He says, your generosity, Corinthian church, is going to prove to everybody around you that I, that God, is who he says that he is. Now, let me give you a biblical example and we'll move on, all right? In Luke 19, you may remember the story. You heard it probably when you were a kid. It's about a dude by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't very tall, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree because Jesus, he wanted to see. And here's what I love in Luke 19, verse 10, it says, And when Jesus came to the spot, in other words, before Jesus ever left that day, he knew where Zacchaeus was going to be, just like he knows where you're at today and he knows where I'm at. Isn't it funny how God finds you? No matter how hard you try, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to see him. He's way up there hiding in the tree. And Jesus stops, and he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he says, Hey, Zac, come on down, because you and I are going to have a conversation. And look at what the Scripture says. 
in verses 8 through 10. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Verse 9, Jesus responds, salvation has come to the home today. Why? Because this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What's that mean? To be a true believer. Not someone who's just physically born of Abraham, but someone who's been transformed on the inside. A true Christ follower. Not just someone who attends church, but someone who's actually experienced salvation, who has been transformed. How has he done that? How has he shown it? Well, he tells us by giving, giving his wealth away, by returning that in which he had taken. In other words, it was Zacchaeus' generosity that the people that were standing in line that day to say, Jesus, you think of it like this. This is the way I was thinking about it, is that when you and I are generous, it's the ring of the bell that people can't get out of their ears. Now, they can try to explain your generosity away. They can say you're weak-minded. They can say that you've been manipulated, hoodwinked. But, they, but it's there. It, 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 it's, it's kind of like if, if we were going to, you know, it's what Salvation Army in some sense do. What do they do with this? They put it right in front of you. It's where you go in and you go out. And our generosity, it stands in front of people. And in order to spend eternity separated from God, what do they have to do? They have to walk past your generosity. They have to dismiss it. Because what we're doing doesn't make any sense. It's like God uses, according to the scriptures I've just shared, God uses our generosity as a cross that he places in front of people. That's why they say, I don't understand. Why do you do that? Why would you do that? So our generosity positions others, inspires others to help, so more people are helped. And our generosity positions the gospel, the cross, the good news right in front of people because they have to deal with it. They have to deal with the generosity of the church compared to uh, other things and other ways in which resources are raised in this world. It's amazing. Uh, in some t- ways, when you think about what local churches around the world do in helping people. And then the third thing is that my generosity, your generosity, positions you or me for blessings. It's important to understand, because Paul's going to talk about this, is that generosity produces blessings. Sometimes people get nervous about that. And they're like, well, you know, but Paul, Paul, Paul talks about this in chapter 9. He says, guys, you know what? What you're doing, you're giving, it's inspiring other people, and it's helping them and helping others. It's incredible. He says, you know what, guys? Your giving is helping other people experience the reality of God. And he looks at him and he says, your giving is what God's going to use to bless you. It gets real personal. This is about you. This is about me, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what he says in verse 6. And if you've been hanging out at Potential, you've heard me use this multiple times. I say it in a different way, but he says, remember. Why does he have to say remember? (laughs) 
because we forget. He has to say remember because you and I forget. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what? And what's he talking about? He's talking about money, isn't he? I mean, the whole chapter is about money. I mean, you can read it in context. Basically, what he's saying is if a person gives little away, then they'll receive little. I mean, there's no other way to interpret this scripture on a personal, on a, on a personal side. And then, but he doesn't stop there. But the one who plants generously gets what? Generous crop. You've heard me say it this way. The same way in which you give, so do you also receive. That's what the scripture says. That's why I am compelled to share this teaching with you even at a time of the year when there is lots of folks saying, hey, help this, do that. Why? It's because I really believe. It's the same way in which I give, Steph and I, the same way in which you give will determine the type of blessing that we receive. That this is a way out according to the Bible. Again, if you don't believe the scripture, then, you know, okay, I get it. I get it. But if you call, you know, yourself a Christ follower and you're trying to live according to scripture, please don't miss this part. Because this is personal. This is, this is about you and me. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians. He goes on. He says, and God will generously do what? Provide. Who provides? God does. What does he provide? All that you need. Then you will always, you might underline the word always, you will always have everything you need and what? Plenty left over to share with others. For God, do you see how God is putting his character on the line here? This, 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 is, this is not an, uh, a metaphor. <laughs> this is God saying, this is who I am. This is the way I work in the area of finance. For God is the one who provides, there's that word again, for the farmer and bread to eat. So God provides the resources to give away plus the resources in which to take care of ourselves. In the same way, he will, who's he? God. What does God do? Provide. And what's the next word? Now, how many of you would like to see an increase in your resources? Right? Yeah. Ring that bell. Woo! <laughs> right? You say, oh, Troy, that sounds selfish. No, no. Right here, Paul is using this to inspire people to be generous. Call Paul selfish. Why? Why? It's because when you and I are blessed, then we are able to inspire and to help. He says, increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, in case you wondered, in case you were doubting, in case you didn't get it, yes, you will be enriched in what? So that you can always be what? Now, listen. There are places in the scripture where it talks about God blessing us, and it's talking about a plethora of a way in which he does that. First Corinthians chapter 9, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is talking about money. This is money he's talking about. He's not talking about good health. He's talking about money. That God 
promises that he will provide for you and me if we trust him enough to live a generous life. Now, here's what I wrote down in my notes. God doesn't say, God doesn't say that if you don't live a generous life, you won't um, experience financial abundance. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say that if you don't do this, then you won't experience abundance. Because we know there are folks who don't believe there's a a God, don't trust the Scripture, live as they would like, and they have plenty of resources. They have lots lots of resources. So in this text, God does not say that those who don't live or those who live a selfish life will not necessarily have resources, because some do. But what God does declare is that he will bless those who are generous. All right? I mean, in other words, God takes care of that other side. But what God does say in this text is that he does bless generosity in a way where you and I do not only have what we need, but we are able to enjoy what we need. Or what we have. A lot of folks have a lot of stuff and they're miserable. And from the outside, we're always confused. How can you have all of that and be checking into this place and find yourself addicted to that and all those kind of things? The promise that God makes here and through Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 is that God will meet your needs, but he'll do more than meet your needs. He'll give you enough so that you can even be generous and be able to enjoy that in which he has blessed you with. I, I, I put it like this. Generosity has nothing to do with what you don't have because that's always our way out. We want God to provide the blessing without the sowing. In other words, we want to go out and experience a harvest even though we've sown no seed. Does that happen? It does sometimes. You know what you call that? A miracle. That's a miracle. When somebody all of a sudden experiences a great sense of wealth, that's, that's a miracle. But that's not a biblical principle because God does that from time to time. I don't know why. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. But what I do know is that God gives us a biblical principle here. That what you and I sow, so do we also reap. So it doesn't have anything to do with what, what we don't have. It has everything to do with what we do have. Generosity is not based upon what you don't have. It's not based upon what the person beside you, behind you, or lives in the neighborhood right next to you. It's not, that's not the definition of generosity. And, and, and let, me, let me show you one last text. It's, it's Jesus himself. It's Mark chapter 12, okay? It's another offering, receiving an offering. Can you guys put it up there? Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down near the collection box. Now, how'd you like that? We're going to receive an offering, and Jesus is going to watch you give it. That's pressure, right? I mean, come on, that's pressure. Now, he does see everything we do. It's just we don't see him, and we forget it. So Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people, because you know, if you got money, that's the time to put it in, right? It's like, Jesus, you see? Right? I mean, come on now, right? I mean, if you're honest, like, I mean, I got a big deal. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been told there's a big offering come as soon as the deal comes through. So, Troy, pray for the deal. Right? Is anything wrong with that? Of course not. 
And you know that's exactly what's going on here. Like, Jesus, I got a big deal. So the crowd dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came, and she had to be intimidated. Because it says there were a lot of rich people there that day for whatever, I guess because Jesus was there. And so there were a lot of rich people there. And this widow comes up, and she drops in what? Two small coins. Clink, clink. Now, I can't imagine the courage it took for her to do that. Because I'm afraid that my thought would be what I have to give doesn't matter. I mean, oh, 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 Johnny over here gave, you know, a million, and Sally gave a half a million, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, what, how much courage it took to walk up there? Because you know that if Jesus was watching, it wasn't like everybody else had their heads bowed. Everybody else is watching, too. And it says she dropped two small coins in. Jesus called his disciples to him. He says, I, I want to teach you something. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others making the contributions. And you can imagine the disciples, Jesus, she didn't. He says, no, no, let me teach you. He says, for they gave a tiny part of their what? Out of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has what? Giving everything she had to live on. Now, which takes greater faith? To give out a surplus or to give what you, uh, beyond surplus, you might say. Now, don't miss the point here. Jesus is not calling the wealthy in this story evil. He's not saying that. He's not saying that what they did was wrong. But what he is saying is who has great, is living a more generous life. Therefore, who, according to 2 Corinthians 9, is going to experience the greatest blessing? You, you give what, you live whatever kind of generous life you want to live. I just want you to understand, according to the Scripture, your generosity impacts your blessing. It impacts the, sow, the seeds that you sow impact the amount of harvest you will experience. Jesus places great value on generosity. So I, I want to do something as we end our, our, our time together today. Do something we've never done before. Oh, no, no, that's not true. We've done it, I think, two times in the 17 years that I've been here. It was rather than just pass the plate, okay? I'm not going to stand and watch you give. But I want us to bring. I think there's something about bringing our offering. Now, it might be your greatest gift, okay? It might be your regular tithe. You may have given online. I don't want you to miss participating. So just bring a, 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 an envelope, okay? A, a, a blank envelope if you normally give online. Because I want you to be able to participate. And if you don't feel comfortable, we're not all going to run up here. You're not going to be pointed out. You do what you're comfortable with. Because remember what the scripture says. Don't let anybody talk you into doing something that you don't want to do. The blessing comes when there's faith in the giving. Right? That's where the blessing is. So, so, so don't be talked into something. That's not what this is about. This is this is for those who d- living or desire to be generous, to be encouraged and uh, to know that you're not alone. So I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to get your envelope. There's a greatest gift envelope, of course, in your, in your program. Now, I would encourage, listen, if you're a Christ follower, I would encourage you to participate. I mean, right? Be, be, be part of this in some way. Don't, don't miss this opportunity to be, to be part of this 
in this moment. Because what we're going to do is you see we got a spot here, we got one there, there, we got one there, and at the campuses, your campus pastor will tell you exactly the different locations to go. And, and there's buckets there. But there's not just buckets. Woo! There's bells. So here's what we're going to do. I'll, I just want you to, you know, put in your envelope or whatever and then just ring the bell. And I think it's going to be, and ring it, okay? You're not ringing for somebody to come bring you a Coke, okay? Let's ring it with enthusiasm. Let's truly be joyful because if this scripture is true, listen, if this scripture is true, it's a great opportunity. And if it's not, well, I want to know that too in my life. One of the things Steph and I have been doing for the last, I don't know, two, three months is I say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And so Steph and I have been giving over 20% the last few months of our, uh, in addition to the other things, our tithe. And then, of course, we're going to give the greatest gift as well. And here's why. is because I'm praying for a great harvest in our greatest gift this year. And, and, um, and I'm sowing seed on behalf of a potential church, Steph and I are. Because I, 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 I want, I want to have a joyful heart when it comes to giving. I do sometimes, and sometimes I struggle. And so Steph and I have intentionally said, you know what, we're going to give way beyond what the Scripture tells us to because we want to sow a bunch of seed and just see what God does and, uh, and give our, our grace. So just bow your heads if you would, all right? And the worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing. And like I said, whatever station you go to, don't everybody go at once. There's no reason to stand in line or anything like that. Just, just go and, and ring the bell. Ring the bell with confidence. And ring the bell knowing that your gift, your generosity inspires others so that more people can, can be reached, can be helped so that we can really make a difference in this world. Father, this is always the most difficult part in all of our lives. I, I don't know why. I, 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 I don't know. Trusting you with something that's so important. God, we, we can't eat without money. We can't send our kids to college without money. We can't start businesses without money. We, we can't buy a home without money. We, we can't have transportation without money. God, there's, there's so much that our lives, we, we need these resources. And so to trust that your word is true in this area takes great courage. We, we don't give so that we can be wealthy. We give out of a joyful heart, out of your gift to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we don't give out of guilt. We, don't, we give with a joyful heart. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand? And let's respond with the ringing of the bell.